I was trying to make it work when I knew it wasn't going to work. And I was committing to something that, you know, I knew I, I, you know, I'd broken up earlier in the relationship and then. And what made you want to hang on, you think? Catholic guilt or. uh, (laughs) That's a thing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Uncoupling, where we talk about breakups, but more importantly, how to move through with self-empowerment. Today, we have on the program Matt Walsh. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Holland. It's a pleasure. He is a two-time Emmy-nominated actor known for Veep and Unplugging and Flamin' Hot. He also has a new series on Apple Plus called Manhunt coming out. And he is a fellow podcaster, co-host of Second in Command, and Corporate Angel is an organization that means a lot to you. Corporate Angel Networks is a group that flies uh, cancer treatment patients for free to various treatment centers around the country. And I have never They're heard a great of group. any kind of organization like that. So when we were talking about that before we started rolling, and I thought that was a, uh, an important plug yeah. to put in there. Thank you. I appreciate so it. So if anybody checks, uh, wants to check out Corporate Angel, please do. I, I love getting a comedic take, a comedian's take, in a sense, Uh, I know comics and comedians don't feel like they're the same type of person, but I do love when we talk about uncoupling. Mm -hmm. Everyone likes to stigmatize that as a failure. If something doesn't work out, it's a failure. As far as social media goes, a lot of these Gen Zers and millennials will have the boyfriend or the girlfriend all over social media, and then one day they're just vacant. Mm -hmm. And I think with social, the rise of social media, we are much more vulnerable to have conversations with strangers. But when it comes to breakups, that's still an antiqu- it's pretty antiquated mindset of, oh, no, no, we don't go there. And so this is a podcast to really unpack there's nothing wrong with ending a relationship and how we should healthily move, move through those relationships because most relationships don't work out. Thankfully, Matt's been with his wife for 16 years. Uh, we've been together Longer. since... Uh, November 05, so that's 18 years we've been together, basically, years. and married for like 16. So he's he's one of the ones where it worked out. <laughs> yeah, day to day. <laughs> day to day. So far, so good. 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to keep working arguments. on it. You got to keep working on it. Yeah, that's Aww. right. And so how did you meet your wife? Is she in, in the entertainment industry? She is. She's an actor, and I was in New York. Uh, at UCB doing a midnight show, comedy show, terrible. One of those midnight shows that the people performing were having more fun than the audience. And uh, she happened to be in the audience. She's very attractive. And I noticed her during the show. Then after the show, I went out to see, like, who's that beautiful woman? And then she says she forgot her coat because she came back into the theater to get her coat. And then I saw her and I approached her. Was that a move, you think? I think she unconsciously wanted to meet me. That's what I think. Is that what she says to you? She'll she'll say no. She legit forgot her coat. (laughs) So it's a great ongoing conversation. Pretty girls forget their coats. (laughs) I don't know. It's like when you have an audition, like, why do I do this? It's like this weird, like, you have to go back in to get your backpack. There's something like... The Irish goodbye at an audition is the worst. Or not the Irish goodbye. It's called, it's called, I think it's called the Jewish goodbye where you say goodbye twice. Is it? Oh, that's funny. I have friends who do that too. I love it. I, I am of the latter. I, unfortunately, I always... It's so humiliating when I have to go back in and get something else. <laughs> I have a friend <clears throat> who is the king of the long goodbye. Like he's like, okay, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. And he'll be there an hour later because he 
admitted that when you're leaving is when people are most affectionate and most appre- most appreciative of like, oh my God, like when you're leaving, they're opening up. Like it was so great to see you and, and like, he likes to told, live in that. Now, now we're just beginning. <clears throat> Right. But the, like it's, it's when so you come true. in, it's like, hey, and and you have small talk. But when you're leaving, people get a little more precious about like, oh, I may not see you it's for a while. It's so true. And so he likes to live in that. And I thought that's great. That's good that's, honesty. Maybe subconsciously that's what I like to do. Yeah. Where I prolong and I, I also just don't like goodbyes. And maybe that's why people grasp onto it a little bit harder yeah. because it's the it's the eminent of we're about to separate on a, on a subconscious level. Yeah, I don't like goodbyes, so I just leave. You're the Irish goodbye. That's the Irish goodbye. But I, <laughs> I f- similarly, I'm not a fan of the goodbye. And I if I find it complicated to execute multiple goodbyes and, and find people that you want to say goodbye to. It's like navigating the party. And uh, so that's why I, I do the Irish goodbye generally. I think there's a study of um, people that Irish goodbye. How many more months do they have on their life uh, of of not rehashing a goodbye? Um, it's something significant. Oh, you get time. You gain yeah, like you get three to bed months, earlier. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it's quite quite funny. Um, that is interesting though. When people say goodbye, it's the most heightened emotion, and that can be also applied to breakups, as obviously as well. Which yeah. is quite funny. Breakups are heightened yeah. emotion too, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So when she came back in to get her coat, how did you make a move? Uh, I was just your show's about relationships, obviously, mm-hmm. and I think at that point in my life, I was in a more fully formed version of myself, and I didn't necessarily care to like present myself in a way that was inauthentic. I was very confident with like this is who I am, accepting of myself. You know how you go on that because relationships. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about relationships before I came on your show. And they're really about yourself. They're really about when are you ready to be a better partner? And like you said, it's not a failure when you date someone and it doesn't like continue to be a couple. That's not a failure. That's very normal. And I think the journey of dating and finding uh, better relationships is really about your own personal journey, developing who you are, being a better friend, being a better partner, being a healthier human, all that stuff. So for whatever reason... I, in that moment in my life, had gotten out of something serious probably a year and a half before this. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of like in this mode of like, this is who I am, not to gain anything, not to impress, but to just be myself. And I saw this woman I liked and I'm like, you know, you're pretty and I think you're cool or you seem cool. And it turned out she was there uh, on vacation and I was there doing a job, but I'd also ended the job. So we both had like a week in New York of free time. And so we just started planning dates Your every Richard day. Your Richard Linklater movie began. <laughs> it was. It was like a before yeah. sunset yeah. in New York. And it's very fortunate because oh. it's like Manhattan's like a cruise ship. There's always something to do. And I, I had lived <laughs> in New York and she wasn't familiar. So I could walk around and show her my favorite restaurant. We went to theater. We went to my favorite you know, museums. And it was like this dream honeymoon to really fast uh, enjoy each other and and I think too, like there was no veil or in, on my end no personally. Yeah, nope. I was just sort of candidly myself and in a good way, honest. And, you know, not that I'm before that I was like tricking people who I am, but I think there is a certain when you're younger, you, you try to present who you are, but you're not really, you're, you may be masking or you may not be vulnerable in some ways. And I think for whatever reason at that moment in time, I was closer to who. I wanted to be and, and was more accepting of who I was. So being at that point in your life where you were ready for, like you said, 
a broader horizon that included more than just you because you were so comfortable with yourself. And then this character that is Manhattan, that Manhattan, the cruise ship. I love that, that analogy. It was. And I think that like the gift and just like presenting myself, like it wasn't going to turn different in my mind. Like this, sometimes when you start dating someone, you know, we're drawn by like beauty or charm and those are very important and that's very normal or status if you know you're the high school quarterback and like Mm -hmm. oh my god he's the quarterback whatever (laughs) we have those things and so I guess I had some of that because I was a performer and slowly into my career so I had some status but I don't think that mattered but it's more about like once that stuff fades away which it does I was still kind of who I had presented myself so there was no like oh this is who you are I think so that's the good fortune of it too if that makes sense how old were you when you met her? A 39, 38. She's oh. younger, too. She's like 13 years younger. 13 years younger. Yeah. So she was And she was in her a place in her life where she had she, she already had had significant uncoupling. She had had significant relationships. Yeah, she'd been past. through a bunch of relationships and, you know, had lived with people. And she was – but we were both living in L.A., which was also very – it was very lucky. Like, yeah, the fact so you had this suspended time in New, York, in New York. We met in New York. The best then, first date. And then the realization of like, well, I live in L.A. Oh, we can continue dating. Like it was very easy to continue the relationship. Yeah, it was very serendipitous. There's a little bit of luck, obviously, to meet someone like that. And she's also very like – her journey in that moment, she's very like – I guess spiritual. Like she's like – she's always like in the car. Like she'll see a license plate and it'll – It'll have like her birth date on it or like she's always looking for signs in the universe. Mm -hmm. She's that person. And so she had had this epiphany on the train, supposedly, truthfully, coming into the show. She's like, I think I'm going to meet someone special tonight. Like she She felt that. She did not say that. She did to her. Like she was having this like journey. And I don't know what triggered it, whether the, the magic of New York or she saw something. But she's always like tuning into these like spiritual moments and opportunities. So she was equally uh, open to meeting someone. That's, I've had that happen one time to me where I said I had gone through a pretty heavy breakup and it had, there had, some time had passed and I said, you know, I was getting on, it was on a plane and I said the same thing and I did meet someone very special. Uh, and, and it's the only time I've ever said that sentence. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, I do tend to think it's, it's got to have some sort of, multi-dimensional something we we're we're unaware of consciously of why yeah. does that happen she's big on that i don't know that i operate <laughs> the same way but she definitely operates on like the invisible things that uh present themselves or listening or uh, i don't know if it's true but i just don't yeah. know what i don't know that's all i know <laughs> no it can be true it can be yeah. certainly it can be true for you or if it works for you and and i think uh i remember during the pandemic i was listening to this thing and some person in a book I read was like telling yourself every morning uh, something good's going to happen today. It's almost like looking for positivity. Mm -hmm. So if you frame your morning like that, then you're looking for signs of positivity, which opens you up to success and connection. And so that frame of like seeing the universe as presenting opportunities or signs is a great way to go through life because I think you land in positive situations mm-hmm. or you frame the world in a better way. There's a YouTuber, YouTube couple, that, uh, she always says, today's going to be a good day. Today's going to be a good day. My father used to say that. He would always say, never had a bad day. Never had a bad day. Which wasn't true, but he, would, <laughs> he was also a salesman, so I think he, he psyched himself up with that. He sold himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say you had done a 
ton of self-work or you had just come to a place in your life at 38, 39 where you said you felt really whole. Was there a particular previous relationship that brought you to that place? Was it through the recovery of the breakup that brought you to that place? Was there a significant pivot that you felt so at peace with when you met your wife? Yeah, I think like, I mean, through the course of my life, I had dated and had, you know, serious relationships with people before that. And then I think the a year and a half, I had been engaged to someone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was the learning lesson of that is like, on my side, I was trying to make it work when I knew it wasn't going to work. And I was committing to something that you know, I knew I, I, you know, I'd broken up earlier in the relationship and then. And what made you want to hang on, you think? Catholic guilt or. <laughs> uh, That's a thing. It's a thing. It's or a thing. like, I don't know, maybe you think you're less than or something like, oh, I should feel grateful. It's the and, failure aspect. Yeah, the lucky. I don't, you know, and also truthfully, someone you care about, like crying and saying, let's try to make that like they still want it to work makes you want to still fight for it. Give over to maybe their point of view. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when you know factually this is not going to work. We're not great for each other. It's not super fun, whatever, you know, and she's a great person. I'm a good person. But it's like when they're someone you care about and their feelings and their success and they're presenting you this like tumultuous emotion and begging you sort or pleading a little bit, begging is not the right word, but like yeah. saying we should know, don't, don't quit or whatever. You can't get sucked into that against your better knowledge. Mm. So that's all of it, I think. Right. This is not exactly the analogy, but uh, there's a there's a quote that says, not that anybody is sick because neither party is sick, but somebody says. Um, Either the saddest person or the sickest person or the weakest person, not to say that any of those are necessarily comparable, but that usually leads the relationship. The more emotional uh, common denominator, the bigger that will that will lead the relationship. Um, And so when you already love somebody and they're asking something of you, you're obligated just instinctually to want to make it work. Well, similarly, like in, in comedy rooms, the, the person who's most passionate about the idea usually wins. Okay. So I would equate the that most to emotional. passion. Yeah, most yeah, emotional, most, most like passionate. strongest fight. Everybody in the room is like, all right, I guess, you know, six and one half dozen people are just right. like, okay, you get it. I'll give uh, you that. You get the idea. You get the joke. So being engaged and then that not working out and you, like you said, felt Don't say your, working out. Oh, Again, that's okay. loaded. Okay, Yeah. So it didn't come to fruition it or it didn't fruition. turn into a marriage. It didn't turn into Thank a marriage. God. How did you move through that recovery process? Well, the journey of that relationship, like you said, there we, we often date people and we're serial monogamous and then we move on. That particular relationship, there was an engagement ring. I don't think the wedding was ever really going to happen, but we were engaged. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I had we had broken up before probably the engagement. And then I, we got back together so it was sort of troubled, and for whatever reason, I wasn't strong enough to really get out of it. So at some point, I said goodbye to the relationship, and I fortunately had a job in L.A., so I moved to L.A. So I re- I physically removed myself from the city of that relationship, and that really helped me making that clean break. So a change of scenery really benefited the luck of, me. The luck of employment took you I, away. Yeah, I, yeah, that's true. 
yeah, I was lucky to have something and a reason to move, but I might have moved anyways just to mm-hmm. get out because at some point in New York, there's for comedy, there's like SNL and um, The Daily Show, which I'd done The Daily Show. So there's less opportunity. So LA had already been calling. So there's a version where I would have moved anyways without like a landing spot. You so know it I mean? was almost two forces working in a different I wouldn't say against you or for you, but just a different for- – there's several forces that were leading you in a different direction, not only emotionally, yeah, yeah. but yeah. there was <clears throat> something opportunity. Yeah, calling. yeah, and, I, and, and many of my friends from New York had already moved to L.A., so mm-hmm. there was like a, a network of people that were my crew that I was like, I should probably move to L.A. So fortunately, when I broke up, I moved to L.A., and, then, and in that year and a half – I actually was living with my brother, the one mm-hmm. I had mentioned he earlier, lives here. and we were living like like bachelors. Ba- we had like a TV in every room, and there were like poker <laughs> games all the time. It was very much like a old school the well, movie that's a, or that's something. A, that's recovery. I think it was. It was very sort of self indulgent. <clears throat> pardon me. And uh, yeah, I wasn't really necessarily looking. I was just sort of enjoying LA and doing fun things and uh, performing, you know, at the theater, it's, et cetera, et cetera. But it was sort of me-based. Yeah, yeah. You I wouldn't think have was... had time to date. No, I don't think. I mean, I, I'm footing. sure I did a little bit. And then what transformed in that period is I do remember having a conversation with a buddy of mine when I landed in L.A. and I was still carrying some guilt about, like, oh, I should have made it work. You know, mm. like, there's something about, like, you declare you're going to get married and then everyone knows you're going to get married and then you don't get married. It's almost like a divorce. Like you've declared this thing's going to happen. So there was that. You know what I mean? You've changed your identity. Yeah. Or like the it. word breakup means like you failed at something. Right. And so I ha- I was carrying that. And I remember him saying like, he's like, dude, you're going to be uh, once you're over this, you're going to be on the better side of it so much better. Like he basically said, like, you're on the other side of this. With a little time, you're going to be so much better off. Trust me, you're going to land is your brother in the best. This? No, this is a buddy of mine. Buddy, <clears throat> excuse me. He was telling me, and I really believed him, and that really. And he was right. Well, it opened me up to the possibility of like letting go this guilt of failure into landing in a spot where I'm so much better off and meeting someone that I'm much better suited for. Mm-hmm. And so that conversation stuck with me, and. And yeah, and I don't know that I did a lot of heavy like personal development, but I was sort of willing to just do what I focus on myself a little bit, have fun, not worry the about the artist way. You were dating yourself. I was. I had an artist date <laughs> with Julie Cameron, <laughs> and I did my morning pages. It's a great book. I did it. It is a great book. Pocket, yeah. Podcast. Yes. So the, <clears throat> I think that's what that year and a half before I met my wife Morgan sort of served as uh, just self concern in a way and fun indulgence is absolutely a form yeah of indulgence yeah yeah no, yeah that's not a bad word and it's often slanted to be you know opulent or gluttonous but it's not i think and i think reconnecting with all the people that were my buddies in new york reconnecting with them so you're sort of reestablishing connection with people you care about as well reestablishing so I, I think who you were at, at your core who had you had built yourself to be as an adult not the catholic guilt that you built up <laughs> as a child it was more this is who i am as an adult i have all these amazing colleagues we all really enjoy comedy together yeah and you got to lean into what you were building when you set out to become an artist 
Yeah, I think what happens sometimes, yeah. And, and, and I think examining life in a bigger way. Like I think sometimes we're in relationships will become very myopic. Like one of the we moved, my wife and I moved from like our first house to, to a, uh, another house. And I just remember hating the move because the move felt so myopic. Like we have to get tile, we have to meet a guy. <laughs> and it just felt like we weren't even looking at the news. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything was so about, cause we had a kid and we were going to have another kid. So, but it just felt selfish. Isn't the right word, but it just felt like you're so locked into your little life. And it's important because you're building a life for your family and each mm-hmm. other. And it's a wonderful opportunity to, move into a home and pick a color for a wall. Like, it's it's great. But I was also sort of disgusted with how myopic our lives have become. And so sometimes in relationships, your worldview, whether it's – usually when it's going bad, it's so myopic and it's so <laughs> focused. And, like, look at the world. Like, look at a sunrise. Look at right. a sunset. Like, a big part of life is, like, looking at everything. Step like, back. yes, Yeah, step back and, like – you're a small part, like you said in showbiz, like I'm a semi-regular right. on a giant machine <laughs> right. that makes a million shows a year. Like perspective, perspective is really, yes. and so getting out of New York, getting out of that relationship really opened up my perspective to so many things, how big the world is, what's certainly more important. And, and, and I think that's a big part of it too. Coming from comedy, do you feel like there's a lot of analogies or, or- just metaphors that you found throughout life, throughout relationships, uh, either the the bonding over a um, misery likes company, you know, in a breakup, or when you guys will uh, almost trauma bond over all of the the grievances of life. Uh, were you doing? You were doing stand up, right? No, I wasn't a stand up. I did sketch. I did, did stand up. I came out of Chicago, did sketch and improv, and then mostly like sketch and improv for the rest of my life. So when so I, this is after an improv show that you had met her? I did like, a, yeah, kind of an improv, com- midnight improv comedy show. Okay. I was uh, I was like drinking and smoking on stage. Like I didn't care to. Like, <laughs> I wasn't drunk, but it wasn't like a great show. But I was also sort of didn't really care in a way how I was presenting myself in a good way. Well, improv is one of the most vulnerable yet useful tools that I say it doesn't matter if you're an actor or not everybody should take an improv class and do you feel like the uh the safe room of an improv class or the improv I mean you started the godfather of of improv companies uh you were one of the co-founders of of Upright Citizens Brigade so do you feel like if anybody hasn't taken an improv class they make you do very silly things really fun games that connect you as a group Mm-hmm. And you become very, qu- I would say, quickly bonded with relative strangers. And do you think that helped you in your dating life? <laughs> because you were this, you know, you have to be a bleeding heart to some degree. Or a well, I person. think this is like, I think being funny helps you be attractive Absolutely. to people. You know, there's like physical beauty and charm and other elements or physical stature or whatever. I think there are certain things that we as dumb animals are attracted to. And so I do think like being funny has helped me meet, you know, people or date people that like found it interesting. So sure. So in that way, I think improv or comedy has helped me in my dating life. And then as far as like everyone taking improv class, I always say that the most important skill about, this is my 
guarded body language. I'm <laughs> noticing this. The most important um, skill in improv is listening. It teaches you to listen, mm -hmm. relinquish your own idea, and collaborate with someone else. And then... That could literally be a therapist talking about a relationship right there. You think? Listening, relinquishing your ideas, and engaging in the present moment. Yeah. That's the foundation of improv, and that's the foundation of a, at least the foundation of a healthy relationship. Probably, yeah, because you do have to relinquish your needs and, and try to hear what your partner's so saying. So hold, hold value in your need, but you yeah. have to at least hear but the other person. in reality, <laughs> in a relationship, you're not like doing it to build something comedic. <laughs> you're doing it to... Uh, dive into what's really behind it. Like they say, they're not really, what they're saying is not what they're saying. You know what right, I mean? I like understand. that's what therapy and like sort of couples work teaches you is like she says you didn't clean the room. But really or, she means. Really she means like I get panicked because I had this childhood and it feels like there's no safety when the sink is dirty. Do you know what I mean? Right, And so right. then that's what you have to understand. And that's a deeper, harder muscle, I think. Absolutely. I, I think that the the structure of of, of improv and, and relationships are, are built on vulnerability and being open. Yeah. But also comedy is devil's advocate. Comedy is a defense mechanism. Like, mm. I don't want to get deep. Therefore, I deflect with humor. Like, people <laughs> right. want to engage in a serious or heavy conversation. That's comedy will often come out, too. Right. And I was right. a psych major in college. I was going to be a psychologist. That's what I studied it is, in it college. It is funny how artists and psychology are like the other, you know, the, the two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It would. Different execution. What is the, What do you mean by that? Is it, what is that the So I always common... said I wanted to be an anthropologist if I wasn't oh. an actor. And that's sort of the macro of the micro. I mean, the macro of studying humans' patterns and human culture is studying a lot of different psychologies <laughs> it's it's going more macro versus the micro of why we do certain things but yeah you study that in massive patterns yeah and so i feel like actors and people that love stories it's it's the it's the it's a very close cousin yeah, to, yeah. Uh, in psychology that's so, true so do you feel like co comedy hurt your your not necessarily dating life but once you got into relationships did you find that you would use you had to uncondition a mechanism that was so obviously professionally tied to you, but a profession that I'm assuming meant a lot to you and you really, it really resonated with you that. Yeah. I think it's a lifelong like personality trait. I probably always like to be funny and it gets you attention. Like all actors like attention and that validation from an audience validates us, but yet we need to learn to self-validate. So there's that journey. And I think like, yeah, I think in some ways the ability to go deeper and suspend or table comedic instincts is, is part of my journey. Sure. With people that, you know, are close to me, I don't have to be that way with, you know, everyone. But right, yeah. right. But yeah, so if it's a defense mechanism, I had to go investigate that and look through that and, and suspend it at times so more real, deeper conversations could happen. Sure. Like the earlier relationships, when you look back, that led you to your wife now, that were there any women that are like, you don't take it seriously and you deflect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly, certainly in college. I, I would equate that very much so in college and, and immaturity 
whatever male immaturity or my immaturity. <laughs> I think that was part of it. Yeah, I think I can I can I have flashes of hearing that from women I dated, certainly in college, where where I wasn't like taking things seriously too much. So when you would go through a breakup, who did you turn to first? Was it was it people in a troop that you were in? Was it was it your parents? Was it siblings? Was there a particular uh, checklist that you went through? I don't know if it was a consistent checklist. Like I have close friends who I can always lean on. Some still, uh, you know, some live. I came out of Chicago, so some are still living in Chicago. I have a brother. I'm one of like seven kids, but I have a brother who lives here in L.A. and we're very close mm-hmm. and, you know, talk to him every day. And so I could always uh, lean on him at the various moments as an as a struggling artist i always had roommates you know yeah yeah uh, the ebb and flow of los angeles <laughs> well I, I did new york for eight years so oh, i was wow. living in like a two-bedroom with like three other guys and a tiny you know i did that for a while and yeah. so i always had close friends who i was uh, living with so i could i could share with them and then some and, and some of them are very still very good friends so they were uh those were deeper relationships that i could trust and share like whatever, my disappointment or questioning after a breakup, sure. Mm. But there was no, like, got to go to the, this guy, and then I'm going to go to this guy. And then and then throughout my life, I've done therapy, and I think so, that's yeah. a safe venue to, like, examine yourself and your uh, relationship patterns, you know. Did you ever have a breakup that was just the funniest breakup? I have a question. Why is it mm-hmm. a breakup? Is that the right word? Like, breakup is negative, right? It is negative. And like you said, like, it's not a failure. No. So that that's not a good word. It's it's like a it's a parting of the ways. There's a pivot. Yeah. Um, I always say embrace the pain because the more you resist the pain, the more painful it gets. Yeah. So if you can just say, p- take a seat, high pain, I'll pull you up a chair. Yeah. And we're going to go run through the pain and you're going to – you're not going to fight it. You'll just – the only maybe – friction moment is that beginning of a run or I'm going to put clothes on and go meet friends for coffee that's maybe the hardest moment but the pain will still be there as you drive to the to the coffee shop or walk to the gym it's still going to be there when you open your mouth and give a hug and try and focus on what your friend's talking about but it's still in your brain yeah and obviously the people that love you know that that's the dialogue going on in your head in a really vulnerable point in your life but I would say um some of my exes still live in my brain. And one guy's just got a little tiny co- little chair in the corner. And I he he I think about him weekly and I just he's just a part of like who I love. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that doesn't mean I'm supposed to be with him. That doesn't mean we even have ESP. That just means he made a really he changed me on a molecular level and yeah. that's okay. Um do you keep in touch with a lot of your exes or like your serious relationships or I have one that were very still very very we had a two to three year break but mm-hmm. we didn't talk. He dated other people and now he's genuinely like a family member to me. Mm-hmm. And we also know each other through a lot of mutual friends and and so we have a lot of overlap as well. Mm-hmm. Um that we So would see one out of probably whatever seven? Yeah. Yeah. Then so the other six or so you don't keep touch with. I have an ex-boyfriend in high school that we um, dated in high school. We texted for 17 years. So Mm -hmm. 
where what generation we grew up in had a big part to do with how we kept in touch, which is mm-hmm. a question I have for you, is... Um, but wait, I want to yeah, ask no, you we'll, this we'll, question. Yeah, I'll come back to that. So I'll come back to that. let's assume high school relationships yeah. don't count. No, no. So we actually dated for three and a half years after texting for 17 years. Oh, okay. It came back. Came okay. back. Okay. And so I thought... Surely that's your soulmate yeah. of somebody you've texted with for almost two decades after high school mm-hmm. that you were with for the majority of high school. Then I was with a solid segment as an adult mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it turns out he's probably the second person that can live in my brain, but maybe not quite as heavily because I was a lot older and more mature to handle that truly uncoupling and what is your take on not keeping touch with like serious relationship people from your life is that healthy is that unhealthy is that normal the high school boyfriend I have a lot of love for we just ultimately weren't compatible in enough of our daily lifestyle he's such a great guy yeah he's such a lovely human being yeah and I I want him to be happy yeah, because yeah, I think for me, like in the in the vein of what you're saying, like you don't want to feel that conflicting two truths. You don't want to mm-hmm. experience that. And it's, being around them makes you feel that. We're just not used to that. it. We're really unfamiliar with it because yeah. we're taught such finite conditioning. It's either this or that. Right. It's apples or oranges. And Friends or dating is another yes. one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What are we? Yeah. We're constantly wanting to define things. Right. And so the older we get in relationships... Um, he doesn't live so permanently in my brain, the high school boyfriend, because I was older when we broke up and I understood what that meant. But I think that is a, <clears throat> a common thing, like guys or gals prefer after a serious relationship. It's probably, I would say most people probably prefer not to have that person in their life. Well, it's, it's also making easier. space for another person when right. you are, fit, they're physically in your face. It, it, it's our, our, our animal brains attach too quickly where logically we just succumb to like kid brain Mm -hmm. and it's not holding space to create new memories and there is unfortunately an out of space out of you know out of mind right and so yeah do you think do you think texting has from your being in a committed relationship way before apps and texting existed i'm old what is your takeaway on that from, young, from friends that are younger that have been dating or friends that are your age that have been dating with apps? Yeah, I How mean, would you my gut reaction is like apps can work. I know people who meet people on dating apps and it works out and they meet a, a wonderful person and their life is uh, more fulfilled because this connection was made through technology. But it's also very presentational in a way that not that like when we go to a party, we brush our teeth and we you know put on makeup. We are presentational when we go out to potentially meet someone as well. So it's not brand new either, but there's something very presentational and curated about, you know, here's 10 questions that you're going to present yourself to potential uh, people to date or hook up with or whatever. And it's Mm -hmm. like you're creating a uh, social media persona in some ways. And that's, that's just odd to me. I don't know if it's bad or good, but it's just, that's part of it. So I find that strange. Um, And also, like, I don't know, like, you're, there's something working back from, like, if you're on a dating app, and then you scroll and scroll, and then it's, like, 
the woman, the coworker you work with, and she's like two offices down. Right. It's like this window into. Do you know what I mean? It's so you know exposed. Them you know them. You know them, but in that way, you don't know them. But right. now you're looking at, and you can go through her ten questions. There's something inappropriate about yeah like how much exposure you get once you're inside the app and so that's abnormal to me um so those are my like quick takes and Mm -hmm. then but yeah i mean it's here to stay like texting and uh are you glad you didn't have texting when you were dating your wife i mean we did no no i'm not that old (laughs) jesus You I guess we met in 05. You said you didn't have cell phones. <laughs> I said my dating history started cell phones. before right. cell phones. That's right. Like That's I right. would talk to a girl <laughs> and my brothers upstairs would get on the phone and listen and right, make fun of right. me. Like So we had one phone do you line. Feel like, do you feel like texting would have helped you in your early dating career or do you feel like you yeah. were happy <clears> as a man? Privacy. To get on the phone? Texting yeah. affords a, a certain amount of privacy. Yeah. So that that's positive. But. It also lives on forever, and it, it lacks nuance, so, so that's challenging. So this is a fun game we play called The Lightning Round, okay. which is pretty indicative to what it sounds like. It's going to be either one-word answers or one-sentence answers, as short as you can, uh, and whatever the first thing that comes to mind. Just a few questions. When was your first breakup? How old were you? Freshman year in college. Freshman year in college. And do you remember your first crush? Jessica Lang in uh, Tootsie. She there was we gorgeous. Go. Jessica Lang. What is your model relationship? Um, I think of one couple comes to mind where they're both super smart and they're both very uh, independent and curious people and they have extremely full independent lives, but they're also very committed to each other. Mm. And what is your go-to breakup movie if you have one? Step Brothers made me laugh. Stepbrothers is always it's the so go-to funny. man. I was having a really bad day, and it just ch- turned it around. <laughs> what is your breakup song? The Smiths or, like, The Cure. I think yeah. that that moody, you know, first wave stuff is very uh, sad, yeah. emotive of that. Breakup food, or what was the kind of cuisine that you found yourself divulging in for 18 months in Los Angeles? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well... Oh, diner food? I don't know if that's accurate. It was such a bachelor home. Is <laughs> I had a stove in this house that I'd moved into, and we never fixed it, so every meal was grilled. We would go outside on the <laughs> that's grill. funny. So it was like burgers, steaks, wings, <laughs> like the, just like everything was on the grill. Everything on the so grill. So grilled meats. Grilled, grilled meats. meats. That's hilarious. The first thing you did after breakups? I would say probably writing, either just a morning page-esque kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, reflective stuff, or like purposeful, like I'll write a sketch or I'll write a, you know, a scene or something. And then what is your number one red flag in a relationship or potential relationship? I can only see it through watching it. And if I'm with someone and they're in a relationship and someone in that relationship exhibits an extreme amount of control, whether it's like we're leaving now kind of moment or dismissing an opinion in a, in a continual way, that to me is a red flag. If somebody in that relationship is super controlling, I see that as a red flag. And what is the number one green flag in a relationship or a potential relationship? I think laughter and nostalgia for shared moments. Mm. 
That's a good one. We call it the beige flag, but what it really we're really good at getting after is what is a fun quirk about yourself that your partners have said they have loved about you? In my past, I have been sort of clueless to social clues or <laughs> social etiquette. And at sometimes it provides my wife with discomfort, but at sometimes she finds it very endearing. Okay. That's my best answer for that. The social, not ineptness, but the ineptness to just cues. <laughs> the last but not least, what? how did you know that your wife was the one? What was the moment that you knew? I would just say prolonged honesty. I don't know if there was like she came out of the subway and I saw her and I'm like, this is the one I'm going to marry. But the consistent prolonged honesty that I felt with her and she felt with me pretty quick. Do you, have you guys ever uh, recreated the same spots or through all the trips to New York, I'm sure, over the years? We have gone back to a couple where we haven't like hit them all. But, yeah, we've gone back to a couple. And there's like the dog in Central Park who – has a statue, Balto. Mm -hmm. He has a uh, plaque underneath him. He delivered medicine to an Inuit village in Alaska by dog sled. And so he's been memorialized with this big bronze statue. Anyways, that was one of our first moments in New York, in Central Park. We went to the New York City Marathon, which is one of my favorite events. Mm -hmm. And we hung and I, we saw the dog. And then I proposed to her at that statue. Oh. So it has like a weird, you know recurring like memory yeah yeah and last but not least what are your words of wisdom if you had an elevator pitch for anyone going through an uncoupling what would you want to tell them my hot take on that is like you will be so much better on the other side of it mm. you really will be open to that possibility you really will i believe that <laughs> oh and i was going to tell you there's a book called the dark night of the soul if you haven't mm. read it it's really good okay, i haven't read that it's Dark it's about because seemingly I think what you get at is the transformative power of these uh, breakups and the, and the challenges they present. This guy's book is all about these dark moments in our life, like allowing to feel them, blah blah blah, and how they transform you. The dark night of the soul. Dark night of the soul. Thomas More. Thomas More. Thank you so much for joining us on this incredible conversation. Thank you, Matt, for being here and being so candid. Nice. Thank you. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Uncoupling. And don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon channel. Uncoupling Podcast is produced by Stampede Ventures, Jason R. Ellis, and Holland Roden.